You're listening to True Cold Case Files right here on Spotify and wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. Thirty-four-year-old Troy Robert Galloway disappeared after leaving his home in Sonora, California on January 13, 2016, four years to the day that this interview is being conducted. He served his country honorably with the Marine Corps from 2000 to 2003 and was married with two children. On the night he was last seen, he left his home underdressed for the weather as it was 52 degrees, not even wearing a jacket. The next morning, Sonora would see the weather dip to 48 degrees. No one knows what happened to Troy. Although a rumor has speculated he was seen in the Santa Cruz area shortly after his disappearance. With a history of mental illness, his mother Nancy Galloway believes that this could have been an episode where he may have had a mental illness episode or may have lost his memory in some way. Nancy joins me for a candid conversation about Troy and his life prior to his disappearance. And we talk about what the Tuolumne County Sheriff's Office is doing to help solve this mystery. Nancy, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of In-Depth. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, you know, today is four years uh, since Troy went missing. And, uh, I mean, it's got to be a wave of emotion for you every year at this time. Well, yeah. And it's also during the holidays, which we just went through, I all memories come up about Troy and I did, you know, I spent time with him and his wife and the two kids um, during Christmas of 2015, which was just three weeks before he went missing. So, you know, it is very difficult. I always yeah. try to plan plan something special on the anniversary. Um, so after we're done, I'm going to go. I live in Santa Cruz. We have a beach here, so I'm going to go down to the beach and just, you know, just be there. Nice. And it's going to be a beautiful day today, isn't it? It is. It's beautiful out there. A beautiful day so at the grateful. beach. grateful. <laughs> yep. Yes. So let's talk about Troy for a little bit here. Uh, so what was life like in the Galloway home for Troy growing up? Well, Troy was born into a blended family. <laughs> So we, I got together with his father, Rich, in um, let's see, 1979, and Troy was born in 1981. Um, so we already, Rich had a daughter, her name was Yesha, that's Troy's half-sister, and then I had a son, Strider, who um, is Troy's half-brother, he's older, of course. And so we, you know, we did a lot of things together, and Nisha and Strider really got along really well. They were so sweet together, so I didn't have a big problem when they were little. Oh, nice. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so, uh, so where did they grow up at? Well, um, Troy was born in Santa Cruz, and Strider was also born in Santa Cruz. I think, I'm pretty sure Yesha was born up in uh, Northern California, and um, <clears throat> so he went all the way through kindergarten through high school with the same kids, which is similar to how I grew up as well. So, wow. I you know he had a lot of friends. Nice, and yeah. so and so you know when we talk about his disappearance, uh, 
He had disappeared from Sonora. Now, when did he move to Sonora? He moved to Sonora um, before Hope was born. So um, both mm -hmm. of Troy's kids come from different mothers, so that's okay. important. Because some people just assume they're both, you know, from Kelsey. But um, <clears throat> so he moved in March of 2015. So when he went missing, he was only there for like 10 months. And oh. um, he, he did like it up there. Um, and I thought, you know, when he first told me he was going to move, I was really upset. Like, well, what are you going to, because Joshua was three years old. And I was, you know, like, what? And he's really attached to his dad. So I was kind of like, let's talk about this. You know, let's think it out. But anyway, they did end up moving. Um, <clears throat> Kelsey's parents live up there in uh, San Andreas, which is very close. So, okay. And uh, he really did like it up there. So once they moved up there and then I visited them, they had a very clean house. They were seemed to be very happy, and I, you know, it kind of <laughs> settled in on me that okay, we can figure this out. I'll just drive up as much as I can, and, and if they could come down here, we'll just make sure that Joshua has contact with his dad. So, you know, that's that's a no-brainer. So, um, anyway, yeah, so he, um, because it, we'll be talking about Troy's mental illness, but he, um, having a mental illness, he lived in a place that had a lot of forests, and, you know, he was outdoors a lot, and I thought I feel like that was really helpful for him. So, you know, you got to think about that too. It's not just sure. my what I want. Um, it, what was good for him. So. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, because like for me, you know, when I left Florida at 22, <laughs> my my mom was so upset about it. And, um, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cause, you know, it's hard. So, yeah, to go from Florida to the Pacific Northwest, you know, just out of nowhere, and something that wasn't even planned, you know, it was right. like, she was so upset, but then, you know, once I actually flew her up here, she was like, right. oh, okay, I see why you wanted to come out here in the first place. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's talk about Troy's uh, service. Now, uh, Troy got, when did he get the call to join the Marine Corps? Um, okay, so this is I, when I talk, I usually go off on little tangents because I sure. have to get all the details out. But um, <laughs> when, because it, it relates to this, um, when Troy oh. was four, fourteen, uh, we found out from another parent um, that he and his friend were using drugs and alcohol. So we put him in. We tried to get him in an inpatient, but they said he no. That's Get him in an outpatient. So I did that, and we followed him. You know, made sure he went to the appointments and everything. So when he got into high school, I I believe that being in high school, he probably started drinking again. I would think. I just I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so when the I guess at the time they let re uh, recruiters come to the high school mm -hmm. and talk to the kids and Troy saw that as a way to, you know, take take care of himself. Like, this would be really good for him. He saw it like um, character building. And so the recruiter used to have the kids come out to a park and do sprints and run and do all this stuff. And 
few exercises, and Troy really liked it. He really, really did like it. So, um, but he could not go into the Marine Corps until he graduated from high school. So right. at that time, that was a requirement. I think back in the Vietnam War, you did not have to be a, you didn't have to have a, a high school diploma, but because his dad was in the Vietnam War, so he ah. was also he was also a Marine. So I kind of feel like Troy wanted to like show his dad that he could do it too, and you know thought it would be a good thing for him. And I I as well I thought it would be a good thing for him. So um, he actually the uh, recruiter came to his graduation. I don't know if he came there to support Troy or to make sure he got his diploma, but it was just a nice thing, you know, and um, Troy appreciated it. So I think um, he graduated in June, and probably um, he did take a little trip um, uh, right before he actually went down to uh, uh, San Diego to do boot camp. Um, he went down to boot camp in July. And let's see, July, August, September. He graduated in September, so it might have been right at the beginning of July because I think boot camp is like three months. And so when um, his father and I and his brother went down to his graduation, I saw a completely different person. He stood taller. He was very courteous. I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is the Troy I Well, I, I mean, he was polite, but, you know, yeah. I, tr I, you know, I raised him to be polite, but it was just a different, it was almost like, I think I was trying to open my own door in the car or something. He goes, no, Mom. And he just, like, made, you know, like, you have to <laughs> let me open the door for you. So uh, before he would have gone, okay, Mom, whatever, you know. So, in fact, when his dad and I and Strider were standing there, there's a all the parents came to a certain area, and the troops um, they marched up to the parents, and they stopped, and then the parents went towards the kids, and Rich and I looked at each other and we went, "Where is Troy?" We could not, we did not recognize our son. And that's how, how much it improved his looks, everything. We didn't recognize him. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Cool. Yeah. I was yeah. really happy. We were just like, <laughs> this is great. Nice. And, and did he, I mean, other than his father, was there any other individuals in the family that served in the military? Oh, yeah. My brother was in the Coast Guard Reserves. Mm -hmm. My dad was in the Army Air Corps at the very end of World War II. Um, There's several people in our family, but those are the closest family members. So he, you know, I think it's almost like um, his dad and I separated when he was about, I think, four years old, and and then his dad remarried. So. I think it was a way, so there were times he didn't have a strong male figure. I mean, he would see his dad every other weekend or, you know, or every weekend. But I think it was a way for him to become a man, you know. It was like. Sure. Kind of like a rite of passage, I, if you will. Yeah. And it's like, 
Troy's son Joshua just turned eight, and he, we're seeing that in him as well, that he doesn't have that male figure because he lives with his grandmother and his and his mom. And um, and they're wonderful people. They're incredible. I love them so much. We all kind of work as a team. But um, he um, he's going through that a little bit now, you know, seeing his friends having their dads with them. Yeah. So, and, and Joshua is really, Joshua and Hope are my motivators to find Troy because, you know, it's just... It's just so unfair, sure. <laughs> you know. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. He talks about Troy all the time, and oh, wow. I mean, every time he's here. And sure. in fact, a couple weekends ago, I have a room in the back um, that is the guest room, but my niece is staying there two nights a week with mm-hmm. me, and I have a lot of Troy's clothes and his shoes and all that kind of stuff in the in the um, closet, and Joshua went and picked out a a pair of shoes and walked out into the living room in this, and he said, are these my dad's shoes? (laughs) I said, yes, they are. So he Uh likes to do, you know, he just is really, it's just really fresh in his mind. Yeah, I mean, and that's good that at least he remembers his father, you know. Um, Oh, yeah. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so uh, when when Troy was discharged from the military, because uh, for our listeners, we want to kind of just mention that he served in the military from from the in the Marine Corps from uh, 2000 to 2003. That's correct, right, Nancy? Correct. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah. did he did he see any action while he was in the military? Because this was right before 9/11 and right, right. when the Iraqi no. freedom was going on. Yes, he was part of that. Iraqi freedom as far as being active in the military, um, but he was stateside. And uh, at one point, he went out to Washington, D.C. He was in the the honor guard, the drill. I don't know what the difference is, but what they did, what his job was, was to uh, march in all the parades whenever mm-hmm. there was a funeral. He was there, you know, just all that. And then wow. they went out to Arlington and would um, put flags on the gravestones and all that during the Sun holidays. And so, I mean, his friends called him a pretty boy, kind of. They would say, <laughs> you had to be good looking and do march really well to get into that. So, sure. But um, <laughs> he, he enjoyed that. He was he did enjoy that. But he he ended up. Um, at that point, he ended up actually going AWOL for about four days. And, oh. Um, yeah, he. it's not funny. I laugh at the weirdest times sometimes. Um, sure. But it, what happened was he was going to be in the inaugural parade for um, President Bush in 2001. And um, he left. Um, he had been visiting out here. In, at the very end of December, so it was within two weeks of him mm-hmm. being out here, he just left and he came on a train and came home. And um, I told him, you know, you have to go back. You can't do this. And all his uh, officers called me. And it was very interesting, some of the conversations we had. Um, mm-hmm. um, he, the officers told me that they have a big problem 
with um, drugs. And I was like, what? Really? But, yeah, mm-hmm. so that was up in 2001. And, now, um, when he when he went AWOL, was this uh, because he didn't agree with President Bush, or was it, like, just something that no. he just did? Um, this is, well, this is when his mental health issues popped up. Um, he had called me before he came out here um, and said, Mom, um, it's really weird. I've been hearing voices. And I went, you know, I look back at it now. I said, Troy, you, got, you need to go see a doctor. You know, he's an adult and he's in the Marine Corps. And I, there's not a whole lot I can do, but I can be his mom and suggest that he go see a doctor. And he said, he said, no, mom, if I go see a doctor, they're going to kick me out of the Marine Corps, and I don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. so I went, well, why don't you go talk to a chaplain? Because they are, you know, they'll be confidential. They won't say anything. Right. And then he'll, and my thinking was, they'll help you get some help because there are things that you can do to help you in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up um, coming out here and um, took a train out. And I said to him, okay, I'm going to drive you back to the airport. And um, I did do that. But he, um, you know, he actually did not make it back. He went AWOL for a while. But mm-hmm. he, I told him, you can't stay here, Troy. I'm not going to, you know, have you stay here while you're AWOL. You right. You've got to take care of this. And I knew that he really loved the Marine Corps, so it was it was a difficult time, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, so that's what happened. And they actually took, took him back. He went through a court-martial, so that's mm-hmm. pretty serious. Um, sure. They... I don't know what he said to the judge or his officers, but they kept him in and they put him, they actually put him in recon, reconnaissance, which is pretty heavy duty. Um, And that's where he wanted to be anyway. He wanted to be in in, um, infantry or recon. So he got to play, you know, got to go out and camp Pendleton and, you know, do play all those war games and all that stuff. He got to drive all the great vehicles. And nice. So, yeah, so he did get that part, you know. And, and so, at least Troy, Troy was a little closer to home being at Camp Fendel to do. Yeah, for sure. We went down there quite a bit. But uh, Troy really, uh, it's hard to describe to people. I'm the mom, and my son telling me he has a mental health issue. Sure. The Marine Corps keeps him, has him go to doctors. He gets medication. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, I can't be honestly, I can't be positive about that, but he was taken back. So whatever happened um, down the line about probably two years into it, he got in some trouble, um, on the base, um, driving someone's truck, or I don't know. It had to do with alcohol. I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure, but um, so, and they did keep him again. They kept him, and um, Mm -hmm. but at some point, his mental health issues got um, harder to deal with for him, and 
And you know, it's really interesting. You know, I don't think a lot of people know that there's a certain percentage because these guys go in when they're 18. There's a certain percentage of young men who this mental health issues come up because if it's if you're like if it's in your family or um, there's you abusing drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Between 19, 18, 19, it's probably earlier now, but at the time I was told it was between 18 and 25, these illnesses come up and they're like, it, it happened to my cousins as sure. well. And it, right at that point in time. And so it's kind of hard, you know, it's like um, trying to explain to people. It's not that they're trying to be bad people. It's just right. that they have. And then it's like it's like a physical illness. It's a, it is a physical illness. It's an illness of the the brain. So yeah, and you know, yeah. and on that note, and on that note too, because um, I used to volunteer for NAMI, uh, which is oh, a you mental, did oh. yeah, yeah, I know what Oregon. it is. I and did. I was talking to my buddy Gary Marsky, who runs the Clackamas County NAMI program, and we right. were talking about it, and he said that you know everyone at some point in their life is going to experience a mental illness episode because, right. you know, right. especially when you go into hard times, like let's say right. you're on the risk of losing your house. You're thinking, okay, right. you know what, I, should, should I put a belt around my neck or should I just right. cry about this all the time? And, right. and that, that is an example of it. And the problem about that yeah. is, is that this country, and not not trying to get too political here, but this country doesn't take mental illness seriously, unlike other countries like Canada and Europe. I mean, right. it's something that I think needs to be addressed on the national I, level. Yes, I agree with you. And I also went to NAMI, um, went to meetings there locally here. I still get their newsletter. I haven't been active mm -hmm. now, but yeah. I uh, it really helped me a lot because there were a lot of young men in this county that were getting the same diagnosis as Troy was. It sure. was a new diagnosis. It was a kind of a bipolar, it's called schizoaffective disorder, mm -hmm. and it has some elements of schizophrenia and um, bipolar. Although I have to say um, for Troy, that Troy was very high functioning and he did take medication and he was on his medication when he went missing. He did not go off his medication. Sure. And I do, when his wife gave me all his stuff, I got his medication. <laughs> so I know he he was on it, and and he was also on a medication for um, drug addiction. And he was uh -huh. seeing a counselor for that. And so he was very active in his recovery. Good. Two so, days so, before he went missing. So did he, so, uh, did he have an issue with drug and alcohol prior to being... Prior to disappearing. Well, yes, he did. Um, he was, mm -hmm. but I, you know, he did. He was mm -hmm. 14. We found out he was using and drinking. We got him rehab, outpatient, and then he would go on and off, on and off. And he was actually in recovery for a long time. He would relapse. Relapse was one of the things that was common for him, and it was also common for his dad. So I kind of feel, you know, that I don't want to talk about his dad's life sure. at all, but um, for Troy, just because we're related, um, 
actually uh, also had that happen. He was really active in the recovering community, but mm -hmm. I think when he moved away from Santa Cruz, um, he didn't, I don't know, he, I don't, he went to a couple meetings up there, but I don't think he got in, involved into the recovering community. Sure. And so when that happens, you're more vulnerable mm -hmm. to, um, they went to church and stuff like that, but I, I don't know, I just feel like he didn't realize that he was kind of falling away from that. So I don't, sure. and I, to this day, I don't know if he really relapsed or not. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Cause well, well, you know, and it's sometimes, you know, when people move to new locations, sometimes it is really difficult to adjust, like just trying to, yeah. to, to get to a new spot. Like, you know, now you have to meet all these new people that you've never met before. And then on top of that, it, it, it might have been difficult for them to integrate, perhaps. I don't know. I, well, and also they, their baby was born, Hope was born in June. So they had gone up their March and April of um, 2015, and um, she was born in June, and then so they had a brand new baby, and if you, I don't know, I, I remember when I was a brand new mom, you are so tired all the time, you can just like, all you do is take care of the baby for the first, oh, for a while, I don't know, the first year, you're, you're up a lot, you got to change diapers and feed them, and Troy was, when I was up there, um, December 19th of 2015, which was about three weeks before he, he went missing, Troy t was the one who changed all the diapers, and, um, you know, and he took care of the baby a lot. I mean, I saw him with his son, and I saw him with his daughter, that he was very involved. So there's mm -hmm. that, too. You know, there's, that happens as well. Mm. But, yeah, well, you know, I... <laughs> At least, at least we know where his priorities were. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, getting back to his military service uh, now, uh, in 2003 when he was discharged, uh, what rank did he leave as in the Marine Corps? Uh, he left as a what do you call it? Let's see, PFC. Um, oh, private first class. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And nice. he did really well in the um, for all that that he went through. He did really well. He did. He was. He wasn't. A, I don't remember the. There's three different um, grades for um, rifle. You, you know, using a rifle. Yeah. He was in the middle one. I don't know. What, it's sharpshooter and something else. He was mm -hmm. the one. He wasn't the the bottom category. He was right in the middle. So, and he uh -huh. told me. I don't know if this is true, but because you know, you hear people say, "Oh, I was one point away from." But I, I believe yeah. him because he was such a good guy. He probably was because he was very sure. good at that. He did get, yeah. before he went into the Marine Corps, he did get some so shooting if, practice. Uh, so. Well, if we have any Marine Corps listeners out there, uh, let us know what that rank was. So, yeah. You know, we I know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I can look it up on the Internet, but yeah. anyway, I don't but want to get distracted. You're good. So when so when he did leave the Marine Corps, did it open up opportunities for him career-wise? Oh yeah, you know I no one ever asked me that. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. So when he was back in um, no he was uh, when he was at Camp Pendleton, 
Okay, wait a second. I'm sorry. I'm just going to edit this out. <clears throat> when he was back in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. he applied for taking courses to become either FBI, CIA, or law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So I was very serious about that, and it totally surprised me. Because after he had gotten back to California, sometimes uh, the bureaucracies are a little slow on things. I got this book in the mail, <laughs> and it was um, for a course um, learning how to, you know, find out who terrorists are, finding bombs in your car, and just all this stuff. <laughs> and um, so, and I think there was a letter that came with it that um, said something about your interest in the FBI and CIA. So I kind of went, oh, wow, that's pretty, you know. He's aiming high, and you mm -hmm. know. So, well, that's really so that, cool. That's he what was... he was looking at, but you know, as 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 you know, with mental illness, the um, it does progress, and if you don't take your medication, it definitely progresses. So, sure. I think I think that part of him really did want to do that, but you know, he was he was battling two battles really. Sure. Actually, he was battling three. I didn't bring this up. Um, when he was in school, he was diagnosed as uh, having a um, learning disability. They don't call it disability mm -hmm. anymore, but a learning difference. Sure. And he was really, he had a high IQ. He was really good in math. They always mainstreamed him in math, but as far as reading and all that, he needed to be in a, you know, a one-on-one -on -one situation, special class. The sure. classes were maybe um, nine kids or ten kids. Mm -hmm. And as a substitute teacher now, I'm getting to work with those teachers. So, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, you're learning as a substitute teacher all these things that, you know, Roy was going through. And, uh, and I'm sure it kind of helps you understand where he was at in, in, in grade school and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some, it's amazing in the school systems. I have learned from teaching for 20 years. I, I taught art, and of course, that's my favorite subject. And uh, I have seen over the years students that are, they just come to my class, and I just teach them art. And sure. I don't teach them other things. Once in a while, I will be a sub for them if I don't have an art class that I'm teaching, so I did get to see the regular classroom situations. But there was a high percentage of kids that um, were so-called dis learning disabilities. Sure. But they were amazing at art. They were, oh, yeah. like, you know, like that part of their brain worked really well. And I wish, this is my wish, is that the schools would get it to, you know, to focus on that as well, because um, there are jobs out there using your art abilities. There's lots of yeah. jobs out there. Yeah, I know. So, I know Salt Lake City schools just pumped in some more money into their art programs. Um, in fact, uh, they just started showcasing some artwork at the state capitol. So that's uh, really good stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and Troy was um, a really good artist as well. Mm -hmm. Um, they say that people, some people see color differently than others. Mm -hmm. I just read that somewhere um, recently. And 
Troy, when he would do paintings or drawings or whatever, he had this incredible ability to bring out color. And I would look at his paintings and go, he, he's better than me. I mean, I'm an artist. I'm an art teacher. He he is amazing. I mean, it's my kid. But um, he won first place at a fair um, for one of his paintings when he was eight years old. And uh, ended up the county bought his painting. And it's still in the, it's still in their collection. And um, when his son was about two or three, we were walking around the county building and we found the painting. And so oh. I got to show his son, which is what your dad did when he was eight years old. And he oh. was um, in the category from eight to eleven. So for an eight-year-old to win over eleven-year-olds, I thought that was significant. <laughs> You that's know. that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the things I had given, he did a couple of paintings that he entered when he was in middle school, and he got a uh, first place again. Um, and I have both of those paintings. I'm so grateful for that because Kelsey did give me back all of Troy's stuff within not even six months of mm -hmm. him moving or re uh, going missing. And in the stuff he, she gave me back were these paintings that I am so grateful for. And, and you know, okay. They just, they mean a lot to me. Oh, I bet. I mean, because, you know, paintings are just personal, you know. They're very personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and as we're talking about Troy's wife now, uh, how, long, how long have they been married before, their, before Troy disappeared? Less than a year. Less than um, a year. He went, miss, he went missing at 11 months before, because their wedding anniversary was February 14th. Oh, So wow. he went missing the 13th, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's. Mm. And, and they didn't uh, really have a relationship. Their relationship started in 2014, like at the end of, the year in August, so he had known her from before, um, and I think that I didn't. I never met her before that, um, mm -hmm. and he never talked about her. So, and then he had mm -hmm. Joshua. So, I I knew nothing about her, but I, apparently yeah. they were friends. So I don't know. I don't know mm -hmm. if they just rekindled a friendship. I really don't know about that. So yeah. And and then they and then he moved to Sonora, I guess shortly like around the same time, and then January thirteenth comes and he leaves the house. I mean, what what all like really like, like what happened that night? Like he just got he just walked out into the cold and disappeared, huh? Well, I can tell you the story that I got from Kelsey, okay. and then I can also say that. We really don't. She was the last person who saw him, and and I'm not pointing fingers at all. I'm just sure. It you just never know. Um, but when she told me the story, I believed her, and I um, it did fit. You know, it's like so. What happened was on the 13th, she she text messaged me on the 15th, which was a Friday. 
And she said, just to let you know, Troy relapsed. And he, he ran, you know, well, she said, Troy relapsed, and I haven't seen him since. And so I said, you know, to me, a text message to tell me that was not, I know the gener that generation. <laughs> I think she's like 30 now, so it's, you know, their generation, that's what they do. They text messages. Mm -hmm. It's easier. It's faster. I was working. It came, it came up during my class, so I can see that. But I just wrote back to her, can I call you? And she said, yeah. So I called her, and she was really upset. And she said that Troy, she had caught Troy using, and he ran out the door. And um, she said that he was using hard drugs. So oh, yeah. So it, I, it's really hard for me at this point to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. It's hard because we don't really know what happened, and sure, I don't want to paint Troy a certain way if that's not true. But it could be true. I mean, it's it, it could be something that Troy would do. So, um, but if he was using heroin, he would not be running out the door because when you use heroin, it brings you down. And right. So, but he was. She said he wasn't wearing a jacket, and he did have a cell phone, and he did have his wallet, and. Yeah. Um, and, and according and according to the this website that I pulled up, uh, it records his, the history of temperatures in the area uh, around that time. Like it goes back ten years. And I was checking the the temperatures because I knew Troy had left out in the cold underdressed. And I was checking and I saw that the temperature probably around the time he left was about fifty two degrees, and by the next morning it was going to dip to forty eight. So, exactly. Like, that's cool. yeah. Right. My I mean, brother, my brother was in that area. He had taken us. I think it was a skiing trip. There's a lot of ski places up there, mm -hmm. and he said he remembers how cold it was up there. So my brother doesn't think Troy made it. He thinks that the elements probably got him. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I always have that little hope that. He is alive, but you sure. know, as time goes on, it's really hard to sure. think that way. Well, um, you know, I mean, anything can really happen because I mean, when there's stories where people do come back after five years, they were in a, uh, a fugue state, if you will. I mean, right. it, ha it happens, but I mean, right. yeah, it, but it's, it, it can be difficult to um, to believe that, though. So after. I mean, that's pretty much the story I got. Um, sure. And then she said that, and that day, she said that she got a butt call from Troy, and she was frantically saying, Troy, Troy, answer, answer. And then he never answered. But she could hear in the background Simoning. And I thought, well, my first thought was, oh, maybe he was, my very first thought was maybe he was still using and that was what he was moaning about. And then after that, immediately after that, whoa, maybe he fell down a cliff. I mean, who knows? Sure. You know, maybe he got into some kind of um, peril, you know, like he, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, anything no. like that could happen. 
was she able to save that uh, that uh, log by chance, like the log that he called in? She, I don't know. This would be with the detectives. I'm sorry. No one's oh, ever asked me that question. You're good. I, but, I like to hammer deep sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, I there's so many things. I don't want to disturb sure. their investigation at all, but sure. there's I a lot understand. of stuff I, they can't even tell me. So, I mean, that's yeah. good for them. Cause, hey, and I totally, I, mean, re I totally respect that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I want, I want to find out what happened. I want my son, you know, mm -hmm. whether he's alive or not, you know, I, I yeah. want to, I definitely, I'm driven to find out what happened. Where is he? At least every, to bring him home, get him home. Yeah, every single day, 24-7. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I do have a life. I don't, you know, I I uh, substitute work. I teach art classes, and mm -hmm. and those really help. But I'm, it's always in the back of my mind. And then the other day I was in a class with some, I was working at a school, as an alternative school, and there's at-risk kids, and, this mm -hmm. one kid asked me something about Troy, and I, I normally uh -oh. do not mention that my son's missing, especially to students. But I sure. said, well, because of the way he asked the question, I couldn't lie. So I just said, well, he's, been, he's missing right now, like that. And then he asked me, how long has he been missing? And I just went, oh, no. Oh, boy. For a while. So I just feel that was hard because I just, sure. you know, you want to tell everything, but you can't. And yeah. they don't really need to know. They're just right. students. And I mean, wait, wait till they graduate, and then if they're still interested, you know. And hopefully by that yeah. time, they know where Troy is, hopefully. Yeah, well, when I was working at the school I retired from, I um, had, you know, I had a few friends that were on my Facebook page that were parents. So they knew, and then all the teachers did at a certain point, and the principal. But um, so somehow a couple of the kids found out. But I never talked to the students about it ever. Yeah, that's understandable. You know. So, uh, and so I, I want to also ask this too about Troy. Now, prior to his disappearance, did he have any recent episodes? Uh, that would have put him at risk of going missing or just you know walking off, anything like that. No, not at all. He was very happy. He, uh, I went there for, well, I went, let's see. From the period he was there, I went up there at least five or six times. And uh, one of them, I brought Joshua up, and then they came down once for, to see Joshua. And mm -hmm. they stayed for the whole weekend. So I got to spend, in October, I spent the whole weekend with both Kelsey and Troy and Hope and Joshua and then they were happy. I have great pictures of them, you know, just, we went out to the pumpkin patch and it was great, you know, we went out to Wilder Ranch, which is here in Santa Cruz, is a state park and um, it's actually a, it's a, one of my relatives, one of my ancestors or relatives back in the 1800s had owned that park, I mean owned that property before it became a state park. And oh, so wow. that was really special that we got to go out there and, mm -hmm. you know, so we did stuff and they cooked meals with me and 
they went and visited their friends and went out to dinner and you know it was just and I I went with them at one point to visit one of their friends at the, where she worked and so everybody was happy and then in at Thanksgiving which was only a couple months was a month and a half I think before mm-hmm. he went missing I went up to Calaveras or uh, Calaveras County um, San Andreas where Kelsey's mom and dad lived and I went and stayed with them and um, I observed that they're happy and it, you know it was nice it was a really they had several people over from the family kids and uh, you know extended family members and it was very nice and mm-hmm. I got to stay over and and then I, I went home. I think I stayed there for two days. Then I went home. I don't like to stay places very long. Sure. But, um, especially places I've never been to before. But you know, <laughs> they were they were happy and then mm-hmm. I ended up on he did have some a few problems with I think Kelsey wanted to stay up there. For they had gone before Thanksgiving, and I yeah. they had been up there for almost three weeks. Oh! And Troy called me and said, "Mom, you know, Kelly wants to stay here, and I don't." And I said, "I kind of came from the point of view of not interrupting their marriage, but mm-hmm. just trying to help him deal a little bit with it, and suggesting talking to a counselor or a." Uh, minister or something and he had told me in December that they were going to go to couples counseling in January so I never mentioned that in any of the conversations I I don't know why some of the stuff is coming out that I've never mentioned before I don't think I mentioned that with um, the detectives so I probably will give them that little pieces never you never know well Um, you know you know so he they ended up he ended up coming back to his house without mm-hmm. Kelsey. She stayed there. It only lasted for a few days, and then he stayed in his place. And I was a little concerned um, because, he, you know, being alone and, you know, having an addiction. Um, sure. You know, once you're once an alcoholic addict and once you have a mental illness. It doesn't go away. I mean, it, you can have take medication. You can go to, you know, do recovery. Um, but it's always there, waiting to pop up again. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. But he he when he called me, he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna go back up." And I went, "Okay." So they handled it, however they handled it. Um, but when he came down. When he had called me and said, Mom, we're having some problems. Um, Kelsey doesn't want to go home. He said, you know, if it was the other way around, I would certainly, and Kelsey said, I want to go home. I would definitely go home. And he felt like she wasn't treating him the way he thought he should be treated. So, Um, But anyway, that was a little glitch. And um, so when when he did come down to his house by himself, her dad brought him down, and, you know, I said, well, how was that? You know, you're riding, riding home with her dad, and, he, and you're saying you don't want to stay up there. Uh, he said, well, it was really uncomfortable, but I was talking to her brother, who's a Christian, and 
oh. um, was helping him out on the phone when they were driving down. So he felt okay about it. And so anyway, um, huh? but then he, he ended up going back up there. And then I came up on the 19th. So obviously they did come back to the house. And, um, you know, he was being left there. And they were up at his, her parents for three weeks. And so it's kind of like they had a nice home, beautiful home. So I don't know the whole inside story about what that was about, but um, mm -hmm. he, um, you know, so they were there when I came up the week before Christmas. I brought Joshua, and I even told Troy, I said, you know, you are really blessed that you have this woman who's willing to, you know, be with you. And not I didn't say it that way. I don't know how I said it. Just like, you're mm -hmm. really blessed. And, you know, um, Although I don't know, uh, later on in the, in the last four years, her and I do not talk now, and uh, I've been treated very poorly by her. And I by, by Kelsey. By Kelsey. Yes, I have been. Um, so unfortunately, because I do, it's it's heavy on my heart because of hope. And what I do is I try to, I make sure I send her Christmas and birthday and all that. But I just, they're three hours away and, you know, it's difficult, so. Sure. Well, anyway. that's, un that's unfortunate, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. I'm sad about it. And yeah. she has reached out at times that I... She, She's treated me so poorly, I can't even, I, I don't know what her thing is. I really don't. I don't know if she doesn't realize, if, I don't know, if she doesn't realize how it comes off to me, or I don't know, so. Sure. And, anyway. and now, when he disappeared, how long did it take for Chelsea to report him missing? She reported him missing on that Friday. In fact, I I got the report out. I want to, if you don't mind, I could read. It's sure. really short. It's just a little. It's like a paragraph. Yeah, go for it. She either called or went into the Sonora Police Department, mm -hmm. and where they lived, they lived outside um, the police department's jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So, in like, in, even in Santa Cruz County, where I live, the Santa Cruz Police Department would not come out here. It's sure. the Sheriff's Department, and this is their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So, because we're further away, where I live used to be rural, but it's not anymore. Um, but, but up there, it's um, semi-rural. And so the Sheriff's Department, they have jurisdiction there. So um, she had call, either called or went in and did this report. It says they took the report at um, on the 15th at 1930, which I'm assuming is 730. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it says um, on 115.16, I spoke with Kelsey Galloway. Then it gives the address of where they lived um, in Sonora. Kelsey wanted to report her husband, Troy Robert Galloway, as a missing person. Kelsey told me that on one 
13, 16. Oh, that's where I got the 19.30. Okay, around 19.30 hours, which would have been 7.30. She had an argument with Troy at the above residence. Troy left the residence on foot, taking his cell phone and wallet. Troy is currently taking medication for various medical conditions, but Kelsey believes he did not take his medication with him. Kelsey told me Troy did not mention anything about harming himself prior to his departure, but has attempted suicide in the past, which is true. Kelsey described Troy as white male adult, last seen wearing a white t-shirt with loose sleeves, blue jeans, and gray shoes. Troy and Kelsey recently moved to the above address from Santa Cruz and have no known friends or family members in the area. So when I read that, I thought that was really odd. Like, they have no known friends or family. Well, maybe Troy had a friend <laughs> that he met since they had met had been there, a couple friends that lived right around them. Mm -hmm. um, Kelsey's parents and her sister, and uh, I don't, I don't know if she was so stressed out. I have no idea. But when I read that, it just like there's a lot of contradictions what? there. Yeah, I was like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they moved up there because of her family, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so um, anyway, they realized that they realized that it did happen. That the report got lost somewhere. It didn't. Someone either on someone's desk or whatever, someone um, didn't um, do anything about it. And so I think they're trying to make up for all that, which is nice. But that's what happened. It was not. Tuolumne County did not know about it because I called at four weeks, three, three or four weeks into Choice Missing. Yeah. I thought, what? I'm not getting any information from Kelsey or her family. What? <laughs> you know, I'm going to call them. I called. The Sonora. I had not gotten this report yet, but I called. I assumed as well that you would call Sonora's police department. So I called them, and they said, "Oh no, no, you." Um, they looked it up. Oh no, you need to go to Tuolumne County Sheriff's Department. So I called them, and they said, "Oh no, 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 you're supposed to be talking to Sonora Police Department." So, and they, you know, their departments are like a few blocks away from each other. It's yeah. Like Sonora is so a small town. So um, I actually did this four times, went back and forth, and I finally, when I got to Tuolumne, I finally said, look it, you guys are supposed to have the report. I don't know where it is, but I need to know what's going on. They keep sending me to you guys. I'm assuming they tell me that it's your jurisdiction. So I need to know what's going on. So the next day they called me and they apologized. And, um, you know, so we didn't, you know, we got off to a very slow start, you know. I mean, so much could have been done immediately. It mm -hmm. says on this, you know, this report, Kelsey considers Troy at risk. Mm -hmm. It says that, you know. So, so... <laughs> It's a long story. I've been in contact. They know me at Tuolumne County Sheriff's Department really well. I've had meetings with the sheriff 
uh, the old sheriff, the new sheriff, um, and mid-detectives, so they do know me. And mm -hmm. I bring this with me every time and say, do you, got, you know, this is what it says. Why, you know, why don't you, why isn't anything happening? They did, they got a detective in August of 2016 who was really a good detective and he had a lot of red flags about stuff and he started interviewing the neighbors. I think that the other uh, detectives had done some interviewing, but I don't, they didn't tell me anything, so I don't really know. Um, but this guy said, yeah, we're going up there, we're going to interview all the neighbors and so um, we, that year, um, somehow we found out that there was 25 people missing from Tuolumne County. And Tuolumne County is a big county, but they're all from that area. You know, it's sure. all like a, a cluster. And I've talked to people across the country that do work with clusters of missing per per persons, and I never get mm -hmm. a lot of interest about it. And I'm like, why isn't anybody doing something on this? Because it's like, sure. I mean, there was a young man that went missing um, three weeks after Troy. He was the same height, same, you know, um, coloring, I mean, uh, everything. I mean, he kind of looked like Troy a little bit. And yeah. I was like, you know, what is this? What's going on? And he has never been found as well. He's still missing. Um so, you know, and I do talk to his mom every once in a while. We mainly, you know, email each other. But mm -hmm. so um, around, I don't know, somehow someone got this Facebook page going for Tuolumne County missing persons because mm -hmm. they had so many missing persons. Someone locally went, hey, something's wrong here. So we did get this Facebook page going, and, one, and Linda, the mother of the young man that went missing right after Troy, she um, said she was reading this book called No Unturned Stone. And I was like, what? Wow, I'm going to get that book. So I went, and it was a woman who I now, I'm very good friends with now, um, who her son went missing in Tuolumne County in, um, I think it was 2010. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book about it. And she had some similar kind of problems. Um, her son, they did end up, her and her husband and her, I think, family members went on a search. They went every day for like three months and they would, they even brought me up there where they had searched and it's like, oh my God, it's just like, I wouldn't even go down there. It was like, well, if it was Trent, <laughs> but I yeah. mean, it was awful. There was all these manzanita brush, you know, they're not like trees, they're like, bushes and you have yeah. to crawl underneath them and you, you're going down at it like a probably 45 at least a 45 it's not close to 90 degree you know and they went down there and what happened was they eventually found a jawbone and they had it tested and it was their son and oh. um, so when when Dateline this is I can tell you so many things Dateline called me in December of 2016 and wanted to know about my story. And um, they ended up doing a two-minute 
web piece, but they interviewed me for three hours, and we thought we were going to be on TV, but um, they also interviewed um, Sandy. Sandy wrote, it's Sandy Lee wrote the book, No Unturned Stone, mm -hmm. and um, it's a great book. It's a page turner, you know. I read it in one day, I mean one and a half days. <laughs> I think I fell asleep at the but um, she, because she went through him missing for a few months, mm. I and this is about the time that I had been Troy had been missing about the same amount of time. I related to this book so much, and it like really helped me. So I emailed her and said, you know, I just kind of told her my little story, and she she said, well, we're going to be in Santa Cruz on a certain date. Would you do you want to meet? And I said, sure. So I went over and I met her and we talked for like two hours, you know, and then um, when Dateline, <laughs> sorry. You're good. did um, their little thing, oh, I have to, I'm sorry, can you stop yeah. for a minute? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I had to get a drink of water, um, so, mm. sorry. You're good. <laughs> so when Dateline, Dateline, um, got her and my my story, her story, my story, Linda's story, and another person who who's um, her cousin went missing. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but it was before Sandy's son went missing. His name was Willie, and he went missing up in, in Tuolumne County, um, and he still hasn't been found. Um, I'd say I'm gonna guess. I, don't, I probably shouldn't guess, but I could look it up. But it's somewhere a couple of years before. So um, we all were on this page, and you know that's how I found out about the book, and that's how I met Sandy. So they interviewed all four of us um, for this Dateline. It was a actually Sharon Rocha. Um, um, kept, oh. Lacey Peterson's mom mm -hmm. um, recommended that they, I think they said, you know, we want to do a 15-year um, interview with you. Would you do that? She said, well, I'll do it if you, I would like you to shine a light on some of these other families who their loved ones are still missing, which I totally am so grateful to her for, you know, that she would do that, you know, and so that's mm -hmm. why we got on, basically. And um, anyway, so we had this little gathering September, I think it was around September 9th of 2016 at a park, and um, and I told Kelsey about it, and I said, you know, if you want to invite your parents or your um, sister, whatever, whoever you want, you know, you're invited to come. We're just gonna, it was really like a grassroots thing. We basically just was a, it was almost like you're at a park and you're doing a meet and greet kind of thing. <laughs> but sure. then, you know, people had t-shirts on, we had t-shirts on. Um, we brought a poster and we had posters and we brought a big poster of all choice pictures and mm. we brought, um, you know, things from Troy, yeah. pictures of him, and posters for them to take, and so that's what it was, and then we all stood in a big circle at the end and held hands and said a prayer, and then that was it, and then the next year it was more organized, and we, this year we had, or not this year, 2020, but 2019, 
we had our fourth annual. So on the, oh man, this is incredible. So Sharon Rocha and her and Lacey Peterson's friends showed up at the first one, and I was like, oh my god! And so my I was kind of shy. I was shy, even though I talk a lot. I was kind of shy. My friend goes up to uh, Sharon Rocha. Goes, is there something Nancy could ask you about how what she should do with the detectives in this case? Because at that time they already knew. You know, Scott was already in prison and. Mm -hmm. All that, and she must have gone through the most horrendous. Oh I sure. Know, but she was so helpful. I mean, she came up there, and she was so kind. And like, um, she, one that stuck in my mind that she said to me, she said, "Anything that you remember or find, you give it to the detectives." So mm -hmm. of course, Troy has a file that's at least four inches, five inches thick, but. It, I took her advice, and it really has helped. It really has helped us keep the investigation open. It's not a cold case. It is a, an open, active investigation. And sure. so because, you know, just a little thing like that, you know. So the second um, missing persons event we had was a little more organized, and we had Chandra Levy's mother, Susan Levy, she lived in Modesto. She came up, and Sandy had become friends with her, and she came up. And because she came up, we had all these different organizations that came, like they did. Um, the Tuolumne Sheriff's Department had a table where they did DNA. They had DNA kits that you could take for your children, and then they did. They took DNA right there. And so I did that, and uh, I think I did it at the first one. I think they were there at the first one, too. Sure. Um, but there was different agencies there and um, from all over the state of California. And it was, but it was pretty, it was pretty um, casual in a way. But um, So we're sitting there. I'm sitting next to um, Susan Levy, Chandra, Levy, Chandra Levy's mom. Mm -hmm. And this woman walks up, and I looked at her. And I go, that's Marsha Clark. And so Marsha Clark was oh. there. So I, so she was talking to Susan Levy because they did, they did a show. Marsha Clark has it. I don't know if she still has it, but she had a show like a year ago that um, talks about missing persons cases. And yeah, uh, yeah. And so she came, and it was great. And so she was talking to. To um, Susan Levy, I looked at her. I go, I recognize you. Are you, <laughs> are you Marsha Clark? And she goes, Yes, I am. So she ended up staying and talking with me. And I remember we were walking. There's, we were in two, the, the the event was really big. It was in two sections of a park, and we were walking away from the where they had the talks and everything. And uh, and there was media there. They took um, video, and it was on the Sacramento News and. You know, it was just really amazing. Wow! So we got a I mean, lot. Of, we got a lot of press. It, it sounds. It, it sounds like as a result of this missing persons day event, you've been able to get in contact with some very important people that can help guide you through this whole situation. Is that right? Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And, and so you being yeah. Oh, sorry. You guys. I'm walking. <laughs> I was going to say I'm walking with Marsha Clark. And I'm talking to her, and I'm saying, 
Well, you know, these events really help me because then I have a place to go and I can say things and I can talk to other people that are going through the same thing. And she goes, yes, I, I really listened to what you had to say and I can see that. So it was really nice for me that someone like her that um, is so involved in all these cases and so sure. involved in, you know, murders or whatever that would take me seriously and that listened to me. I was like, wow, what did I say? <laughs> you know, but it was nice. It was, and then so she wow. was there. She was really low-key, didn't, you know, make a big to-do about being there. You know, it right. was nice. And for those of you who, who are listening, Marsha Clark, Clark was a uh, prosecutor in California who was more more or less known for the work she did in the O.J. Simpson case uh, when uh, when that was going on. I mean, that yes. and so everyone knew who Marsha Clark was in the mid-90s. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like it's just amazing that, and it, and it makes me feel really good that, you know, that you are in good hands out there, you know, regarding this case that, uh, that you know, you're, you're able to make contact with these people, people who have gone through what you're going through and people who are working the legal system and can help you with some loopholes. Yeah. So the first one that we had, the first event, I told you that I invited Kelsey and her family mm -hmm. and um, they did not show up, but um, they, she wrote back to me and said, oh, I'm sorry, that's my birthday weekend. We're going oh. camping. And so I'm like, okay. So before I left, we went in the caravan. I, have, um, I haven't mentioned to you that from the beginning, like within a couple of months of Troy missing, I have a team where like we meet probably every, sometimes, well, at that time, we were meeting every month or every two weeks. And there are... Um, there's uh, three women and a guy, and the three women were on my, we call ourselves the brainstormers, that's our mm -hmm. name of our group, and mm -hmm. we're just, we're just lay investigators, you know, we're, yeah. we have no, but we did, we did add a person who I was interviewing, and I've known for many years, and he also knew, knew Troy. Um, he's and he works for the county with um, the homeless. So mm -hmm. he was in law enforcement for 25 years. He did missing persons cases, and he still had his PI license. And wow. I was interviewing him, just you know, like, would you do our case? And he ended up saying, you know what? We talked for three hours with myself and two of the members, mm -hmm. and um, he said, you know, this is an active case. I think you should just go with them and then, and at that time we had a really good detective that was doing a lot of work because sure. um, I told him all about that. And um, so he ended up being in our group. So he ended up like maybe, I think he came to our second um, event. So he came in around January or February of that year. So he's been really helpful. You know, just, he's, he told me, what to write to get the FBI involved. And his son is a some kind of assistant DA or something. He mm -hmm. gave me the address of the FBI up in near Tuolumne, or that is their jurisdiction. That feels the field office there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so with, I wrote this letter, had the name of the head person, 
wrote this letter and he told me the words to use because they were true. It was true. I did suspect that he was either kidnapped or murdered or whatever at that time. Mm -hmm. I still, that's still on the, you know, it's still there in my mind. Um, and so they called me within a week, they called me. And I talked to an FBI agent and he ended up going up to Tuolumne and helping them out, you know, because mm -hmm. they have, FBI has more resources. Sure. And I and I do know that sometimes I wish that the police department and the FBI would be hand in hand with everything. And I do know that especially the probably the uh, I don't know if I should even say this, but smaller towns are probably a little bit behind. I guess. Sure. No, I don't know. I, I they, think that's an absolute accurate description. <laughs> so when he went up there to help them, mm -hmm. um, they did do a polygraph test on Kelsey. She passed, um, although it's not, you know, it's whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, so when I went up, and, so we had this really good detective. He left and went to a different county and mm -hmm. moved on. And um, we got this young guy who was very prejudiced towards Kelsey and was really rude to me a lot. And... Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I cry in his office, and I, I would always bring, I would always bring one of my brainstormers with me so that they could be there in case I missed something, you yeah. know, of what they t said. And so um, he got upset with me that I got the FBI in involved. He said, "And you got, you went over my head and got the FBI involved." And I went, "No, I didn't. I got the FBI involved because you." you have less resources and they can help you. It mm -hmm. wasn't my intention to go over your head. I was, And plus, he wasn't doing a lot, so I just didn't, you know, think that, Yeah. That, you know. So when I was, when we finally decided, this, I'm kind of going to go back a little bit because something popped in my head. When we were getting the posters made for Troy at the very beginning in 2016, um, the officer that was, our t t took our case at the time, told me, well, he's, a, you know, he's a lot of adults going missing and they eventually come home and all this, you know, that kind of line about that. And he, um, <clears throat> he said, we'll make a poster for him. Well, he didn't make a poster and I kept waiting to sit on their Facebook page, the, the official Facebook page, and it was never there. <clears throat> and then when I went to visit him at one point, he opened Troy's case file, and there was a poster sitting right there, and it said, Voluntary Missing. And I got so Voluntary. upset. He said, it had really dark letters, Voluntary Missing. And I just went, oh, my God. And so I said, he's not Voluntary Missing. And then I, you know, I said, look at this report. It says, At Risk. I want well, that to. I want you to change that to at risk, because people that are at risk get a little more, you know. Right, and my 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 thing too, you know, when we're talking about the fact that when Kelly reported Troy missing, he considered an at risk missing person. What I, what boggles my mind is why did the investigators not like like why did they just like not really 
look, 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 look form and the initial investigation. Like typically, once once someone is reported that way, they usually just drop everything they do and they do these massive search parties. Right. Well, the the young man that went missing after um, Troy, three weeks after, they had military, they had helicopters, they had drones. I mean, they had everything going on. And I, I asked the detective, why didn't Troy get that? And he said, this is the the second detective, the no, third, third detective, the one that got at me for going to the FBI. He said, well, they had connections. And I went, okay. I mean, if you wanted me, I could have got some money going from somehow if, that, if I had to have connections. I just didn't, I was really naive. I didn't, I never, in all the time that, you know, Troy, the longest Troy ever was not known where he was. It was during his drug days. It was four days, you know, and he always yeah. called me. Even in the middle, he'd text message me or call me. So he wasn't really, I never did a report that he was missing because I knew he'd be back, you know. But so sure. that's why I waited for for some of the people in my in my, you know, like my family, I waited for a week to tell them because I thought, well, I don't want to get everybody upset. He'll come back this week, and but he didn't, and then there was nothing, you know. And so, anyway, I was, and then when um, it, I don't know when they did the Dateline interview, um, I don't know if you're going to ask me about that or if I should just tell you. I don't well, know. You just, yeah, I, I didn't intend on doing it, but if you wanted to bring it up, go ahead. Hmm? Well, it's kind of it's kind of important because yeah, it's absolutely. kind of showing why I'm kind of backing away from Kelsey. Sure. Um, so what happened was I was not going to tell her about them because they had called me in Jan in uh, December 31st or something of 2016, and they wanted to hear the story. So they were just doing a vetting of me. And so they called me. They didn't call her. They called me. And I didn't really, I didn't, I thought about it towards when we really got an interview going. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, Kelsey was throwing Troy under the bus, and she was really angry at him and saying he left his family, he abandoned us. He, sure. he never even considered that he had an, you know, fell down a cliff or that he lost his memory. I, I, I never understood that. She was just so angry at him. And um, so in any event, so she ended up, what happened was they found out that I lived in Santa Cruz. Everybody else lived up near Sonora. And they said, um, oh, you live in Santa Cruz. And then I thought, oh, no, they're not going to interview me. So I got back to them and I said, look it, I will drive up there to have an interview. Oh, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then it's three hours. I, everybody thinks it's so far. But, you know, you're a bus driver when you drive a lot. It's like no, 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 It's like nothing. Like St. George, Utah yeah. is four hours yeah. away. But to me, that's like yeah. a two-and-a-half-hour trip for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, um, so anyway, I told him I'd be up there, and then what happened was I mentioned, um, well, maybe we could, because I'm thinking Dateline, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they always go out and look at 
the places and all that stuff. And, and I thought mm -hmm. that it was going to be, it ended up being a two hour, but I thought we were going to be on the last hour. And I, um, so that's what I was thinking even during the interview. Um, but they changed it at the very end um, to just do these little videos online. Because they also have a missing um, person online, um, put, you know, a website. So that's where they put it. But um, but it's going to be on the Internet forever and ever, so I'm kind of glad about that. Yeah. That, that, that kind of soothed me a little bit. But um, So I thought, okay, well, we can go. Maybe we can go down by the lake, which I haven't talked to you about, about that yet, um, where they actually, when this, the third detective got on, and he had did interviews of all the people around there, found out that someone was splashing around in the lake that night mm -hmm. and that these dogs were chasing them. And so they um, decided to go look in the lake. You know, and they, um, <clears throat> had, they had sonar, they had divers, and they had one other thing. They had like three different things that they went and looked in the lake for Troy. And they did not find him. And uh, I remember when the, the detective called me and said, well, we're 95% sure that Troy's not in the lake. And I said, well, what's the other 5%? And he started laughing. And I went, so it ended up that he said the only way we could find out the rest of the 5% is if they drained the lake. Sure. And I knew, I knew the homeowners association. Um, president and his wife, they were very active in Troy. They came to our first event, and they were real sweet, and they both loved Troy. I mean, the, especially um, the guy, he liked Troy very much, and um, he had been doing some work with Troy, um, some kind of handyman kind of work, and he thought Troy was fine, and he wasn't high, and, you know, they, and they they didn't know that Troy was still missing when I went up there at one point. And I said, really? Nobody told you he's still missing? And so anyway, they he and his wife went down to the lake and sat there all day when they were looking for Troy. Wow. And um, they ended, I think they were, I think they were the people who made sure the lake got drained. And it did get drained soon thereafter, like within a couple months. So. Wow. And then there was no Troy, and they looked for, you know, I looked, and there's no Troy there. <clears throat> but anyway, she went down to the lake, her and her husband went down to the, the, the last name's Painter, they went down to the lake to um, be there because she knew I was far away and that she wanted to be there for me, for a mom. Mm -hmm. She wanted a mom to be for their, there for a mom, and that was really touching to me, you know. So. Yeah. So anyway, back to the lake, I had said, you know, maybe we could do a little shot by the lake and and uh, then maybe by his house. And I thought, then I started thinking, because I had just gotten the landlord's phone number from um, somebody, I can't remember who it was. Um, I thought, well, I could um, call the landlord and let him know, because there's new tenants in there, and mm -hmm. I should probably tell, you know, tell them that we're going to have cameras. I thought they were going to have these huge cameras. and It ends up they just had a regular, really good camera, but it was small. And we probably wouldn't have interrupted anything, you know. Sure. But in any event, I thought it was right for me to do that. 
So the landlord um, called Kelsey and told her, you better get down there. They're going to do a dateline thing. And mm -hmm. I was going to tell her after it was all filmed because I didn't want her getting on camera and saying, he's a junkie and he left his family. You know, I just didn't. That wasn't cool, you know. So what happened was she called me. She was really angry. I, she left a message. I did not call her back. Um, <clears throat> and um, and then she called Dateline. And then Dateline called me and said, well, what's your relationship with this person? I said, well, right now it's not that good. And then because yeah. I said she's very disrespectful of Troy. And I just don't want that to be even mentioned. I don't, this is a person who's missing, sure. who people that are in recovery or have mental health issues know it's not a bad person. It's a person, you know. So um, so they called and I thought, then she told me, we called Tuolumne County to see if this was safe for us to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, interview with you. And I said, well, look at, let me, because it was like on a Friday, they were interviewing me on Sunday, let me call around and find venue that we can do someplace, somewhere in Sonora. I'll rent it, I don't care, I want to do this, I, you know, this is really important, I'm not going to let this go. And she goes, okay, if it's going to be somewhere where she's not, you know. So I, so I did um, call Sandy, who by that time was my friend, and said, you know, this is what happened, and do you know of venues? She was born in Sonora, and she knows all the places there. Um, do you know a venue that we could use? And she said, and I wasn't even thinking that she would say, but she did say, you can come up here. So I said, oh, okay. So I, we had the interview up there at her house. And nice. they did all the stuff. They did three hours with me, and then they did three hours with her and her husband, and there was a point when they were done with either me or I can't remember when it was, but they had us like walking um, down their driveway, live in a rural area, and um, you know talking together, the, the three of us, myself and her and her husband, and it was I, I that never got put on the video, and I was like, oh man, that was so cool because yeah. it does show that people unite, you know, mm -hmm. and th that were. Helping yeah, each other. and and see, and that's a problem, like with like the mainstream, like Dateline, and, and, it's, and it's good that they picked up on your son's case, but only the problem is that they always like to cut for time, and they only like turn them into small segments, even though they spent hours with you, and uh, and, and and for me, I'm like, you know, why, why? Why you know? I get that they wanted to do the story, but why do a two-minute segment after three hours of interview when they could totally do an entire segment on this case? Because I think that's what this case deserves. Well, one of the things that when Kelsey called either them or me or whoever, she yelled about her. I'm going to bring my lawyer down there, and you are not going to get this oh, on TV. Come on. So, yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's why I started backing away, so your listeners can know that that was stuff like that happened. The first, um, the first event that I had that I invited her to, I stopped mm -hmm. inviting her to him because she wasn't going to come anyway. Sure. Um, um, the first one that we had, 
she, I put, I did made a poster, a big poster, like a big poster size, with pictures of Troy, and I took a picture of it. We left at 5 o'clock in the morning and put it in my Facebook page, and we were still Facebook friends at that time. Mm-hmm. And she wrote on my Facebook some comment like, oh, why are you going to be up there? You should be out looking for your son, and I am so embarrassed that you're doing this. I'm like, wow. What? So I, that, mm, that, that brings up some flags for me right there. Like, like now oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that brings like some red flags for me right there. So, I mean, it sounds like that they may have actually had some issues that they weren't telling people about or being public about. Um, and maybe perhaps something happened here. Like, this must have been a, the, the basically where the uh, uh, where the where the kettle explodes was the night that Troy left. I mean, I don't know. This mm-hmm. this is just from what I'm gathering so far. It sounds like that there was just a a point where Troy said he had enough. Essentially, well, uh, I don't know what was going on in the house, and you you know, I it's just it, that's just what it sounds like. I mean, the the really hard part. Um, I know he came down to his house and left Kelsey and the baby up with her parents. So mm-hmm. he knew the baby was going to be okay. So sure. the only part I would think with Troy is that he loved his children so much. And mm-hmm. I don't think he would I, – I don't think Troy would leave his children. Now, how far is uh, – because I've, I've been to California quite a few times um, – but I, uh, the geography is so spacious that I couldn't tell you where the house is where. Uh, but uh, how far is, and this is just a oddball question here, but how far is uh, Tuolumne County from Humboldt County, California, like Eureka, Arcata area? Oh, they're, they're, that's a pretty good drive. It's um, I don't know exactly. Because I have been to Humboldt and I have been to mm-hmm. Eureka, but I... Sure. I believe my sister lives up in uh, Placer County, and uh, that's yep. mm-hmm. so Chico for her. Chico is like an hour's drive, so mm-hmm. and it takes me six hours to get to her place. Okay. So it's so then it takes me three hours to get to Tuolumne. So I'm just thinking that it's at least three hours. You know. Okay. Well, about. yeah, because I'm thinking probably, because. Go ahead. You could probably Google map it. Yeah, because yeah, uh, let's take a look, see, because here's the thing, and this is the reason why I bring up Humboldt. So. Uh, I know what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. Because <laughs> there's well, a big cluster of people up there, right? Right. Because, it, yeah, because I go down there once a year because I have my friend Corinne and his, his husband Alex. They live in the Eureka. And I'll go up there and visit them every year. In fact, it's funny, I tell him, and this is just a side story, but I tell him that, you know, I've been to California quite a bit, and I've eaten at a lot of places in California. But of all the places I think I've ever eaten at, I think some of the best food I've ever had in California has come from his kitchen. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. So the thing is, is that, what I know about Humboldt County is it's a huge homeless population there. And not yeah. only just that, there, there's also what uh, they call, uh, I'm trying to remember what, emerald uh, emerald workers or something like that. Uh, where oh, they right, have right, right. Farm, I farm, 
right. if you will. They, right. they have these little exactly. clandestine camps where they like grow marijuana illegally, but and they make good good money. They make good money. Yeah. Out of it. Um, yes, do you I think Foy, Foy may have been mixed up in that by chance? I know it's not. Uh, question, I highly doubt it because he mm -hmm. really, he really. Um, when one of the things that he said when he was, he wanted to come home from being up in um, San Andreas, and this is only this is only like less than a month after before he went missing. He said, Ooh. you know, they they drink and they use a lot up there in in. Um, Calaveras County, which is San yeah. Andreas, mm -hmm. and I don't want to be around mom. It's gonna like yeah. it's you know. So I don't sure. think so. But I do know about that place because yeah. <laughs> I'm a native Californian. And there you go. <laughs> well, so on a side yeah. note, though, it's an eight and a half hour drive from Tuolumne County, so we can dismiss that. Oh wow! Yeah, no, <laughs> no. But when Troy was about three or four, his dad actually went. I didn't consider missing like I knew where he went. He went up there and he had a friend that had a farm up there. So, mm -hmm. you know, sure. so there was that. So I know all about that for sure. And then when I was doing the missing persons, as I'm doing the missing persons investigations on my yeah. own, um, I found out that there's a big cluster up there. And there's some kind of, there's a name for it even. There's the Emerald Triangle. Oh, the Emerald Triangle. That's the one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think, there's... I think, go ahead. doesn't it go to, down to Fresno or something? Uh, no. Uh, so the Emerald Triangle typically, it focuses on Northern California and Southern Oregon, if you will, because uh, oh, a, lot of the, okay. a lot of it is mainly, because Northern California is a perfect temper, temperate area to grow pot at, like Northern right. California. Southern Oregon. Don't ask me how I know this, <laughs> but, yeah. but I, but I, but from what I've heard, um, it's just that central area. And the thing yeah. about that is that, and I think it goes from Klamath or not Klamath County, but um, uh, Josephine County, Oregon, all the way down to uh, what Sonoma County, I think. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, Sonoma that's County. different. That's but, different. But the thing yeah. about that particular area, too, is that I've also, I also know that there's been a lot of people that go missing in that area, too. Right. And right. people run away to that area because they know they right. can make good money on the farms. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was right. just something that I thought of because, you know, with Troy's case, you know, he's in California. He's a missing person. Maybe that might have been what happened, holding on the hope, but no, I, I don't think it would be considering the distance of... Well, and plus, by this time, Troy, if he gets any kind of trigger or anything, it's more about hard drugs, so... Exactly, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It doesn't... Yeah. So, that. so what is the uh, current status? Well, actually, we went over that. The, we know that the case is an open investigation currently, uh, but has there been any kind of like new movement since uh, this case started? Like anything new, like within like the last year? Well, I can't really speak about that. I'm so sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do that with the media. So that's sure, all I can say. sure. Okay, Sorry. that's uh, that's fine. But it is open. I can say that it's an investigation, and I have never even ever lost contact with those 
the detectives or group, I have always made sure, like, things will pop up in my mind, and I'll go, well, what about this, you know? So, um, yeah, so I do have a really good relationship, especially now. I totally trust these guys. They're making up for all the lost time that, you know, they're, they're making up for, I have, I feel like a, like something's been lifted off my shoulders a little bit. Like I feel hope and right. uh, of some kind of, you know, there's all the different scenarios. I mean, like I said, he could be not, not you know, having his memory, psychotic break. He could have fallen down a cliff. You know, that, that always bothers me too because yeah. I'm always like, why doesn't Kelsey think that? I don't know why she well, would think that. At this point, I think she would be able to think a little more, you know, outside the box, or in, or you know, right. to know that, you know, if, if he didn't do this on purpose. I mean, if he did this yeah. on purpose, perhaps it, you know, could. I mean, he probably would have divorced you by now, or or something like that. But right. if, if for to to go this long to think that, oh well, he just up and left and just left me here hanging with the kid. You know, I I don't think that's fair. I I just don't think that's fair. Right. Um, But, you know, I I think, though... Go go ahead. ahead. No, you you go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking that one of the things I think is she got so stuck in this rut of that's what happened. You know, that he Mm -hmm. just went out and he left his family and all that, you know, that she has never let go of that. And... Like, it just boggles my mind because I know Trump. I mean, he's my son. I was there when he was born. And I know he was the sweetest guy. And every time he's so kind, you know, every time I see people that know him, that really know him for a long period of time, they always, the first thing they say is he was so kind, you know. It's like I, the things that she says about Troy is not, she's talking about someone else, not, sure. you know, it's and then when you're you're married, there is a different relationship. So, sure. But I just, you know, anyway. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I think the big focus is to get Troy home, to bring him yes. back home to you, yes. to his family. What you know, whether the, the 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 consequences are good or bad, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about knowing what happened and. He's and that he's home, and exactly. that's the purpose. And, and that's the purpose of this interview and this podcast is to raise awareness about cases that, you know, no no one really has heard about. And you know, despite the fact that, you know, you got you got the entire state of California to get involved, most of the nation involved. I think there's still a lot of people that need to learn about this case and and to learn yeah. more about the missing person epidemic that we have in this country. Exactly. Uh, because it's, yeah, because, I mean, it's like, you know, in the 80s when when we had this stranger danger situation, you know, we were having kids on the milk cartons. And at a time, that was when missing children and missing people were taken seriously. But one of my big pet peeves is that this country does not take missing adults seriously. In this entire country, you know, because we have this belief that adults have free will. They're not children anymore. They can do whatever the hell they want to do. But at the same time, when we're talking about Troy, Troy had a history of mental illness. 
and he had a history of, of, of issues. And for 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 people to not take that seriously, it it, it it boggles my mind. And I'm just glad that the Tuolumne County Sheriff's Office has stepped up to yes. make sure that Troy's case will not be forgotten, as well yes. as the California Department of Justice. Uh, you know, yes. that's just, that's, I mean, it's great. I'm just so glad that they're taking a step up, because if this was any other missing person case in this country, it would just have been another missing adult. And right, exactly. I'm just, but, I'm just glad. You know, I, I'm glad that you're doing this work, because that gets it out there. And one of the things that um, California finally um, started in 2018, they have a big event in Sacramento now for missing yep. persons, families. And, I mean, it was amazing. If I would have had that in 2016, I would have learned so much because they have oh, yeah. the FBI, they have the mm -hmm. DNA testing, yeah. they have NAMAS, I was meant not, yeah. not, okay, NAMAS, that's the whole country, and oh, now that yeah. NAMAS just got started a couple of years before Troy went missing, nobody told me to go sign him up, nobody, right. nobody, yeah. so I did, and then they have, now they have a veteran section, I haven't looked at it yet, but they have, that just started, and then they have a missing and unidentified. So there's bodies, bones, oh, veteran bodies. Oh, no, that's a different one. The In oh, the oh. Nam Us, or Nam Us, how we pronounce it. I didn't um, say name they, it, but I could be wrong. <laughs> name is, that's what I said, and they always say uh, Nam Us. So, okay. Uh, so in their group, or in their, whatever you call it, their, yeah. Anyway, they have a section for the missing and unidentified bodies that they found that they have not identified, which is many of those. Oh, and yeah. then they have, and they'll link them, they're linked to the missing persons. And yep. so, and then they now have a veterans section for all the veterans. Right. Because there's a lot they, of veterans that are missing. Right. So, and, and, that's a, and that's the thing is that, you know, even now, because, uh, even today, you know, in like countries like Asia and, and and where we had where we had conflicts in the past, they're they're still finding unidentified bodies that might have belonged to servicemen, and yeah. I think that also helps. I think that's what initiated it. But also too, in this country, we have a lot of veterans that have gone missing, um, and you know, some of them are they're living in homeless camps. They're going by assumed names, uh, right. and then when they're found, you know, deceased. There's really no, like, they can't, there's no identification. And so they have to try to figure it out through military records, dental, right. DNA. Right. Um, so, fact, yeah, go ahead. I don't wanna, I, I'm sorry. I just, because um, I just wanted to say that the DOJ in California, they're great. I like them. But they wouldn't, they didn't have Troy on their files. And I had to do not. that, too. They said, wow. we don't have a picture of Troy. And I said, and then I thought, she didn't even give them a picture when wow. she reported him missing. They didn't have a picture. So I think they used the picture that you have, because I think you got that, maybe you got it up the, the, the uh, driver's license photo. The driver's license yeah. photo? Yeah. Yeah. So they had that. I mean, they should have been able to put that up a long time ago, because he, mm -hmm. but I, 
yes, the law enforcement has to report to them. You yeah. have to have a case number. I said, I have a case number. I'll give it to you. And that's they did. You know, they finally got it up. But I think the bureaucracy, like NAMAS, they um, also did not have choice dental records and stuff. Mm -hmm. And all his and and the DOJ did not have choice dental records. So wow. because I was on choice, I can you know because I'm his mom. I was able to sign, a, you know, to get the release of the dental records. Yeah. And so they got, they have them now, and they have his DNA for sure. Wow, that's, that's rare. Yeah. That, that's so. a rare thing, having dental records a while nowadays, you know, because uh, yeah. a lot of, a lot so, of, and, uh, yeah. So when I, w when I went up to um, the event in Sacramento, I did talk to NAMUS, or NAMUS, <laughs> and said, <laughs> Um, we'll have to get that pronunciation because they're so important. Yeah. I mean, oh, they are yeah. so important. Um, I asked them, do you, I, I noticed that you don't have choice dental records on the on file. They are in the DOJ, so I would like you to get them on, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm able to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, as a missing person's family member or, or a friend or whatever, you have to advocate for that person really strongly. You cannot just sit back and think people are going to do stuff for you. They're not. You have to look at everything and, you know, just make sure you get everything, you know, them recorded everywhere you can. You know? Correct. Yeah. With that being said, uh, I, to just kind of, like, bring this interview home, uh, what what will Troy's legacy be? What I mean, if he was listening to this, I mean, what what would his legacy be, and what would you say to him? Oh, well, his legacy would be he became a writer, and he's really good. And I got all these poems and um, short. In fact, he was writing a short story right before he went missing, and he asked me to edit it which I did, and he was supposed mm. to send it out like that week. That was the mm. deadline, that week. So I don't know if they ever got it. but um, So he, his writings will definitely uh, be his legacy and his children. I mean, his children, you know, are just, they're, they're part of him, you know. And mm -hmm. like my little Joshua that I take care of every week, he looks exactly like Troy. <clears throat> and... When I, you know, I'll be with someone else, you know, like well, he had a birthday party not too long ago, and I'll be with someone else, and I'll call him Troy, and I do it, and I didn't even notice that I called him Troy, oh. so I do that all the time because he looks, because yeah. I, because I raised Troy, and he looks so much like Troy, yeah. so and I think that's gonna be, and then. I don't, I, he's he's come in contact with so many people who really love him and that um, he had so many friends, and he was funny, and, you know, he was a kind person. He would never hurt anybody, except if he was an infantry and it wasn't the enemy, but he wasn't yeah. that, you know, he wasn't that way with people that he knew, and, <clears throat> but, um, so, I don't know, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And any any final thoughts or anything you want to say to get out there and uh, anything you want to plug or anything like that? Well, I can tell you about our Facebook page. It's called Missing Marine, 
like the Marine Corps, Missing Marine Troy Galloway. And I have 1,500 people on there now, which is nice. Um, to me, that's a pretty decent amount. And um, I post often. I Sometimes I post every day, but I post, um, you know, at least a couple times a week. And I, I'm doing this little thing where I post um, pictures of Troy when he's little or different parts of his life so people can get a sense of who he is. Sure. And um, I, and then I anytime we this will be on there, you know the dateline's oh, yeah. on there. I mean, all the anything will be on there that I have. Um, we had a newspaper article that the new detectives that we love um, have started a kind of a they did it on their own, which is great. They started putting uh, posters up on their Facebook page, um, you know, current posters of everything that's happening now. And this guy up there who's a reporter put, um, did a big article on Troy. And so mm -hmm. it's just like that stuff, it just re-stimulates people's memories that this guy's still missing, you know. Let's find him. So Yeah, absolutely. So, so I really appreciate all you missing people people <laughs> that can help us because it's amazing. It's like I, I put up on a on one of my posts not on Troy's page, but on my page, I said, there's more good people in the world than there are evil doers. There are. And so this is for, you know, these people are good people. Most of them are good people. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, it, despite all the bad that we see in this in this country, like despite all the bad we see in the news, all the ugly, the depressing stuff that we always see, there's actually probably way more good than what we're seeing. There's so much more yeah. good. Oh, it, there it, is. I, I mean, look just... around you. You know, the the people that do bad things are the ones that get the attention. But there's a lot of good people right around you that are doing good things. And just keep that in mind. You know, that there's a lot of good people out there, and you're one of them. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Other than that, uh, you know, this was a good interview, Nancy. I, I appreciate you uh, accepting accepting the invite and uh, allowing us to cover Troy's case. Uh, I know it's not the typical case we cover, but at the same time, uh, this is something that, you know, has been very, very, very boggling to me, and I just wanted to be able to cover that today. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. Thank you.